Hi everyone and welcome to For Facts Sake, our podcast about fact checking and misinformation. I am your host, Aoi Bryan, and with me as always, the man, the myth, the legend, the slightly ill man, Paul <laughs> Dobson. How are you doing? I'm not bad yet. As you just alluded to, I'm recovering from a bout of COVID, but hopefully should be able to venture outside for the first time in nearly a week this afternoon. So I'm excited for that. The second FFS member downed with COVID in like three weeks. Yeah. What did you describe us as? The illest podcast on the internet. The illest podcast on the internet, yeah. And our guest this week is uh, recovering from some other illness. So maybe this will be our last episode. We don't seem strong enough for the modern world as it stands. Uh, We are sort of quite appropriate to be doing a podcast on viral misinformation, though. Ah, that's good. That's good stuff. Yeah, cheers. Thanks. We speak uh, today on a quite momentous um, political day in Scotland. Um, Peter Murrow, Nicola Sturge's husband and the former uh, SNP chief executive, has been arrested uh, as part of an investigation into the (laughs) SNP's finances. We're not going to say too much more about that at this (laughs) stage because it's an open uh, case and we do not want to get done for contempt. Certainly um, interesting times in Scottish politics and um, no doubt there'll be some fact-checking work to be done (laughs) over the next few days and weeks. That was some phenomenal fence-setting, world-class. Thank you very much, thank you. I'm sure everyone will be happy with that. Um, On this week's show, we are talking about the far right and the misinformation that they propagate and how they've been involved in recent protests and how they seem to be gaining somewhat of a foothold uh, in various issues around Scotland and the UK. And to talk about that, who have we got lined up, Paul? Yeah, we're doing a internal call. So speaking to uh, our esteemed ferret colleague, Jamie Mann, who has been covering this issue for a number of years alongside other ferret colleagues. So mm. um, we think he's best placed to talk about that. So we've got him coming up very, very soon. Um, and we've also got Paul's Curiosity Corner, which is on something you could say a bit less serious. Yeah, this week we're looking at an image which I'm sure you've all seen of the Pope in a rather lovely puffer jacket and why that was not all as it seems. Excellent. So we'll start with Jamie and we'll end with the Pope. What a podcast. That's the dream lineup. My name is Jamie Mann. I'm a journalist with The Ferret. And one of the things I write about is extremism, which I guess is why I'm invited on to the podcast today. What we're talking about today is far right in Scotland and the UK, but specifically patriotic alternative and your work on them. Could you explain, firstly, what patriotic alternative is and how long you've been looking at them and monitoring them? Sure. So Patriotic Alternative is uh, the UK's most prominent far-right group at the moment. We've been writing about them pretty frequently since early 2021. Yeah, so what's their position in Scotland? How prominent are they and how do they fit into the wider far-right in the UK? So the key people behind the group north of the border are Kenny Smith. Uh, He's a former BNP candidate at Holyrood. And then there's Simon Crane, who we think lives in West Lothian. Much of the activity they advertise um, publicly, at least, tends to be promoting like anti-immigration messages through 
banner drops at various locations around Scotland, uh, flyer in people's houses and on the streets, and organising demos um, and stuff like that for their promotional videos. Um, but we've also found out that through our investigations that Kenny Smith used a private chat group to recruit neo-Nazis who posed with weapons, shared a bomb-making manual, quoted a mass murderer, and said members should kill for the greater good. Um, we've also found that Patrick Alternative Scotland is the subject of a counter-terrorism strategy involving the Scottish government. But uh, Patrick Alternative themselves, they've always said that they condemn violence and terrorism, and they tend to deem any criticism put to them as being anti-white. What do they develop out of? The BNP is probably quite a prominent one. So both Kenny Smith and Mark Collette, who is, I guess, the English or perhaps the UK-wide figurehead or leader, they were both pretty high up in the BNP. Um, and Collette, he was, I guess, I've seen as Nick Griffin, the BNP leader's protege. But mm. uh, um, there was a big falling out. Um, it also involved Kenny Smith, which I won't go into because I don't, I don't know the details. But I think mm. there was there was quite a bit of in, in fighting and accusations about um, the leaking of the BNP membership, which was sort of a big thing at the time. Um, probably other far right groups as well. I know like a lot of other names have come up. Um, so I think they probably come from disparate places. The BNP being the most prominent. You sort of explained to where they've come from there, but they also have managed to forge links with far right groups and individuals around the world. Uh, how have they done that, and is that largely to do with online radicalization and online channels like social media? Yeah, I'd, I'd say it's absolutely right. I think it's um, yeah, like solely down to their online activity, uh, social media. They tend to do quite regular live streams, podcast type things, and they often have on his guests or interview other uh, far-right and neo-Nazi extremist figures from around the world, a guest to sort of try and promote one another. They've sort of shared platforms with extremists, convicted criminals and others, like the former leader of the Ku Klux Klan and other alleged former members, at least, of the banned UK terrorist group National Action. Do you get a sense of how big they are? Like how many people that members there are or how much influence they have in the far right in the UK? Um, I think it would be safe to say that they are the most prominent um, far right group in the UK at the moment, um, judged by sort of like how much of the media attention that they managed to get. It's with these things, it's, it's like impossible to tell, I guess, how many members they actually have. Um, so I wouldn't even want to like hazard a guess on that. Um, and often they kind of like hijack protests and stuff like that. Um, so often when you would see them at protests, it's not just their members. You might see them with a banner or whatever, but it's often mixed up with other, other people who aren't associated with their group. Yeah. This, with, the, with like this sort of extreme right in the UK and in Scotland, I get the sense that like there's quite a lot of these organizations that kind of come and go quite fast or reformulate. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess it's, caused by you know in the case of scottish dawn and national action like them being prescribed and it being um illegal mm. to actually express support or be a member so they have no choice but to if they want to kind of be in a group that has to be in a, another group things like infighting um and splinter groups uh coming off like our larger groups or you know just them fizzling out and you know mm. or just 
them getting a certain kind of controversy. So yeah, they're constantly kind of reinventing themselves and picking a new name and a new banner and a new logo um, and coming up in a different form. So you mentioned earlier that Patriotic Alternative is now probably the most prominent far-right grouping in the UK. Um, and we've increasingly seen their members at protests in Scotland and down south outside hotels hosting uh, those seeking asylum. So what has their role been in sort of fermenting that anger towards migrants? I think they're probably the most prominent group that have kind of latched onto these things because I know that there are yeah. like local, there are like sort of local opposition to, for instance, like uh, in some cases of like migrants being housed in hotels but they often kind of turn up to kind of latch onto these things and give themselves more relevant and prominence. Um, so for instance, like in Scotland, they've been protesting outside a hotel used to house asylum seekers in Erskine, Renfrewshire. Um, yeah. But despite, as, as far as we can see, having uh, no connection to the area, because, um, you know, it, it suits their narrative and they're likely doing it to, you know, inflame tensions around the use of the hotel and perhaps sort of use these opportunities as a recruiting ground. We've also seen they've been doing fairly widespread leafleting. What sort of things are they saying on their leaflet? You know, that's the public face they're trying to push. What sort of misinformation tactics are they using on those leaflets? Often sort of like um, dodgy stats and stuff like that Mm. to forward their narrative of stuff like the Great Replacement Theory, which I think you've covered in previous podcasts yeah. but yeah um yes yeah, so i think the stuff they're handed out is sort of said like white britons will be a minority by the 2060s or sooner mm. and yeah, that's the kind, kind of, of stuff, classic far right thing isn't it as well though. yeah yeah it's absolutely yeah. classic and, and so it blames immigration for like their flyer like literally blamed immigration for all manner of things like you know rising prices problems in the mm. nhs uh, cultural changes and even the traffic. The leaf that, that I saw, um, they're using a lot of the language of social justice and of the left in some ways. Like, so it's about, oh yeah, energy crisis is really screwing people over, uh, the NHS crisis, stuff with the environment, even talking about issues from a point of view of almost like social justice, but then they're like putting it all on migration. <laughs> Yeah, and quite quite literally, I mean, it's classic uh, populist tactics of, mm. um, you know, tapping into what people are rightly angry about and then shifting the source of that blame very simply onto the other who, in their case, who they're othering is pretty much anyone who's not white. Do you think we're in a, an era currently in Scotland and the UK of like increased extreme right activity? and maybe not success but like influence or uh publicity um it's i think it comes in waves uh it it seems to at least and you know you can only really kind of track these things by media reports um but you know because like the last big wave i suppose was was national action which ended in them being prescribed as a terrorist group um yeah and this seems to be sort of the latest uh, wave and, you know, they, they have sort of risen to prominence. Um, I mean, like if, if you look at how how much far-right groups actually tend to get when they register as political parties and run, since the BNP, mm. they haven't like made a dent electorally. Um, mm. So, yeah, yeah uh, certainly in the UK, if, if that's the way you're measuring it, and then they haven't 
they haven't gotten anywhere. Um, but the risks of of what they do, um, I guess you know, it's potentially rad- radicalizing other people, um, bringing in disenfranchised people um, yeah. to their cause. And as we've seen with other far right groups, it's not even necessarily their members that can be the most dangerous. It can be just their supporters, or even, you know, um, from like right, a yeah. teenager in his bedroom, um, you know, to someone that is having a mental health crisis or just harbors really resentful views. In general, they can sort of radicalize them. And as we've seen in the past, they have led to terrorist attacks. Welcome to Paul's Curiosity Corner. This week we are discussing something that is very close to both of our hearts, I think, and that is namely the Pope's sartorial choices. Last week Mm. you may have noticed photos circulating on Twitter and other social media of His Holiness resplendently sporting a dashing and very modern white puffer jacket, but that wasn't quite what it seemed. Can you explain why, Ali? Yeah, so as you say, this picture went really extremely viral in the last few weeks. Uh, It was shared tens of thousands of times across social media platforms. But unfortunately for everyone, uh, it was a fake. The image was actually created by an artificial intelligence art tool called Midjourney. So how are photorealistic images such as these created by AI? So AI image generators, probably the best known one is called DALI. You might have heard that. Yeah. Uh, That's created by the same people who do ChatGBT. But they're basically designed to make images based on a set of prompts or instructions. So you can go into one of these public ones like Dowie and suggest a prompt like, for example, the Pope wearing a Balenciaga puffer jacket. (laughs) And uh, if you want, and the uh, AI system is able to learn from large sets of images which already exist and are sort of fed into it to create a new image that's similar to what is available to it in that data set. So essentially, in the example of the Pope, it's able to learn what the jacket style might look like and what the Pope might look like yeah. and combine these into these different inputs to create a realistic style new image based on the inputs which are already there. Okay, why do you think this particular image gains so much traction? Because you see quite a lot of these AI images floating around the web. Yeah. Um, do you think it's because it was kind of slightly mundane? There wasn't anything particularly shocking about it? Yeah, well, I heard it described as the first mass level AI misinformation case. Part of the reason, as you say, is because it's quite frivolous and not a serious political issue. This is something we've done in our training and I've been talking about for a fair while about images and basically sort of keeping your guard up regarding images, no matter how serious or not they are. Um, So there's obviously nowadays there's a lot of talk about misinfo in the media and the fake images and fake videos and deep fakes and things that are, are very much like media terms that are used now. So people are much more aware of them. But and so hopefully people are a little bit more cautious about sharing stuff um, and making sure they try and verify things in the ways that which we've you know said many times on this podcast before. Um, these are usually tied to politics, certainly in the media, it's about how serious these things are. So fake images that are to do with you know pictures of U.S. presidents or um, images taken out of context in um, serious like natural disasters or in war situations like in Ukraine, things like that. These are kind of serious political news events. People obviously online, what a lot of people do is share (laughs) memes and funny images and videos and things like that. Um, And I think 
you, your guards kind of down a little bit in, in those situations. You're not going, wait a second, I need to verify. Well, you are if you're me, but most people are <laughs> like, you know, just, oh, this is funny. I mean, I've lost count the amount of times one of my pals has sent me something and I've been like, that's just not true. Or I've been, I've been like sitting there going like, I need to find out whether this is true. Most people aren't boring like me. So they just, you know, share things because it's funny. Um, a good flip side example of this is that last week, uh, obviously this week, Trump was arrested uh, in New York. And after that was announced and sort of leaked last week, there was images being made, AI images being made of Trump. Uh, sort of dramatized versions of Trump's potential arrest. So pictures of him being handcuffed and like being huckled away by people running across the street and things like that. Um, these were shared really widely. And, you know, no doubt some people did believe them. Um, but I think in no, in that situation, people have their guard more up. So they're like, wait a second. If Trump's being, you know, pursued by police across, you know, the street yeah, in that's... New York... Why didn't I hear that? They're asking themselves questions like, when did that happen? Why didn't I hear about it? What else happened? What was the fallout? But when you see a picture of the Pope in a fluffy coat, you just laugh and move on. Yeah, I have to admit that that was my response and I didn't interrogate any further. And to be honest, only found out it was fake around a week ago as well. So well, what you want to um, be? You want to be like me and just have done this job for so long that you're no longer t- able to enjoy anything on face value and yeah, just interrogate Incredibly cynical. Like that. Yeah, exactly. yeah, that's what you need to be, yeah. Okay, are there other examples of images like this circulating that have fooled a large number of people? Yeah, well, I was having a look around and having a think about that. I don't think, in terms of AI, I couldn't think of anything that was had this wider reach in terms of like people sharing it and people believing it at sort of on face value. Um, again, using the flip side, there have been other ones, I mean, even the Trump uh, arrest pictures they were pretty widely shared, but I don't think people believe them so much. There's other ones being made of Putin being arrested and various things like that. People are just testing these uh, AI systems. Um, but in a sense, this is a continuation of existing problem. So like realistic photoshops have been flooding the internet, internet with misinformation for years. Uh, yeah. The one we've always been mentioned, we've mentioned for years on this, uh, uh, as, as FFS has been in training and various things, is the shark in floodwater in the US. Um, that's a, a, like one of the, the most enduring uh fake images that's that's kind of gone around the internet for what probably more than a decade now um Mm -hmm. and so yeah people as long as people have been able to photoshop they've been able to falsify image even before that people been editing images for you know hundreds of years yeah um but what ai does is open up this kind of new frontier allowing like really quite easy manipulation of images by members of the public to create misleading narratives and spread misinformation it also has like a real potential to make these more difficult to spot um, as some of the usual tools, which we would mention, you know, things like doing reverse image search or checking, you know, for the context around an image are more difficult to do with AI because they are creating genuinely new images, albeit from existing data sets. So I think what it it means is there's it, it's a slightly more difficult for the general public or it will become more difficult for the general public to be able to identify what's fake from like simple tools um but again even with ai there are sort of developing uh some some developing telltale signs particularly on these mass ai uh image generators that some people have been using like for example the hands um that seems like ai is having some problem getting realistic hands um which some people have been utilizing for um to, to, to sort of verify these things and also stuff like for faces and some problems with background faces some, some of these ai seem to have a problem creating 
real genuine faces if there's a lot of faces in an image for example but it certainly has quite scary potential That's all we've got time for for this episode of For Fact's Sake. Thanks so much for listening. And thanks to everyone who's uh, given us five stars on various platforms. It really does help. Uh, I believe we've now got five stars on Spotify as our average, which is pretty good. Um, you can uh, get in touch with us in various myriad ways. Paul, do you want to describe some of them? Yeah, we're all over social media. Uh, you can get us at Ferret Scott on Twitter. We've also got our Facebook page and the Ferret Underground Facebook page, which some of you may be members of. And we also have our now middle-aged community forum, community.theferret.scot, where our journalists hang out and you can give us leads or ask us questions or respond to polls. Lots of different stuff that keeps you engaged with the journalists here at the Ferret. We will see you next time. Bye. Bye.